Hello, welcome to Question Block. Hi. I'm uh, Alex, or Wires of NYC, and with me is... Aerialist. Yeah, and today I've got my lightning necklace on, and you're wearing your cloud jumpsuit? Cloud, cloud leotard? I'm a cloud. You're a cloud. I'm a lightning. Because uh, we're talking about the weather. They said that would be a boring podcast topic. And they're about to be proved way wrong because we found I forecast. out you forecast it's going to be a pretty exciting podcast. Uh, it really is. I I got very excited while researching this. It turns out to be a fascinating topic. Yeah, um, I'm obsessed with clouds now. You're obsessed with clouds. And I found out that pretty much the shape of human history and like life on Earth uh, has been driven by the weather. Wow. Yeah. You don't really think about it. And yet it's small talk. What is weather? What is weather? Whether or not you know about it. Uh, yeah, weather is, is just talking about the Earth's atmosphere. That's it. It's all the air that is on the surface of the Earth. And most, most weather phenomena are, are confined to just the uh, bottom like 8 to 15 miles of atmosphere. The Earth's atmosphere goes up to, I think, like 600 miles or something the different layers, which we'll talk about the layers. But all the really interesting stuff is just caused by movement of air, the fact that the Earth is a sphere and it's spinning, and that the different parts of the Earth get different amounts of sunlight. And everything else comes from that, which is pretty wild. Although Earth is not the only planet to have weather. So at the end of the episode, we'll talk about weather on other planets. We're going to talk about both weather phenomena, like storms, but also the overall climate or I guess your day-to-day -day experience uh, of the Earth is driven by these weather events. And primarily, it's the atmospheric circulations, which is where uh, air ends up on Earth. And we'll talk about a little later the different, uh, how that drives like cyclones and the jet stream and the polar vortex. Yes. And then I said at the top, uh, which I'll kind of summarize in case you still don't think the weather is important, uh, weathering is one of the major like fundamental processes that shapes the earth. So as rain falls to the surface of the earth, it picks up, uh, I guess like contaminants and often like kind of carbon containing stuff and it absorbs CO2, which makes rain water slightly acidic. It can get very acidic if there's lots of pollution, which is why you get acid rain. But that's what, uh, gradually erodes like in, you know, mountain ranges. That's why the Rocky Mountains are still rocky, because they're new. And the Shenandoah are, like, nice and rounded, because they're old. Do you know that mountains also affect the shape of clouds? Yes. It's a real cycle. And uh, weather, weather events have also played a major role in all of human history. Including wars. Including wars. And peace. Yep. Uh, famines. Fashion. <laughs> I suppose fashion, the clothes you wear. We've talked about with like early human civilizations, land bridges that form during glacial periods when more land is exposed. So can I give you a couple of like ancient weather people real quick? Yeah. So, uh, Thales of Miletus, you know, you know, that guy was the first. He was a philosopher, probably. I mean, yeah, okay. exactly. He philosophized about the water cycle. No way. Oh, yeah. he was like, rain must go to the rivers, which eventually goes to the ocean, and then that like gets picked back up and becomes rain again? Yes. Hippocrates discussed weather in his treatise, Airs, Waters, and Places. That's a good name. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's great. It's really cute. 
And then Aristotle writes Meteorologica. Oh, I didn't even realize that Aristotle also talks about meteorology. Theophrastus, he was the first person to publish a weather forecast in his book called The Book of Signs, and it was about olive, uh, when you should plant your olive trees, but based on the weather. So So we've got these ancient meteorologists. Were they kind of just guessing at stuff, sort of like... Like atoms, like we talked about in like the science episode, or were they pretty accurate? No, they they really observed the weather and they took really good notes on it. And I guess it was important for sailing, right? Yeah, I mean the the uh, Theophrastus, his like weather book was literally the dominant influence in the study of weather forecasting for nearly two thousand years because they were also like figuring out seasons at that time. So and you can look at the shape of the clouds. Well, that doesn't, yeah. The, <laughs> to tell what they're going to do. True. That didn't come along until, well, Archimedes studied the concept of buoyancy and the hydrostatic principle, and this later on will become important um, for cloud formation, like the cumulus cloud formation. Mm. Um, let's see. In the Middle Ages, there's two important So Shen Hao wrote vivid descriptions of tornadoes, rainbows, and lightning. Chinese meteorology was was based on, it was almost like the harmony of the the spheres, but it was like the harmony of the elements. Like, they sort of, they were like, okay. Oh yeah, because they had their fire fire dragons and their earth tigers. Well, but it was also like, they, they, they were kind of right in that they were like, okay, if there's, if it if it rains a lot, it's gonna have to like get warmer after to like balance everything out because they they thought that everything was essentially in nature was going to balance itself. Um, but then there were these people that did a lot of observations and they were like, well, it's a little more nuanced than that. And then Roger Bacon is the first to calculate the angular size of the rainbow. He stated that the rainbow summit cannot appear higher than forty two degrees above the horizon. So there's a lot of rain in the Middle Ages, a lot of rain studies. I guess it rained a lot. It was like Portland everywhere. I'm trying to figure out the root of the actual word meteorology, right? Because it's like a Latin oh, yeah. root. Um, I have it somewhere in here. Do you want to talk about rainbows and lightning? Wait, before I jump into those, since you're t- talking about in the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. uh, a very cool event uh, in Eastern history. Uh, in uh, Japan, like, would currently be conquered by and like run by the mongols or the descendants of the mongols if not for the weather oh uh, what yeah uh famously under the mongols under kublai khan tried to invade japan in the year 1274 yeah in 1274 they they invaded and they conquered two japanese islands uh two smaller ones tushima and iki and then the the japanese like samurai fought them off so the mongols like went back to china and regrouped and so then seven years later in 1281, the Mongols came back, and the Japanese, in the meantime, had very prudently built like very high walls, like all along their coast, so the Mongols couldn't land. So they ended up just kind of hanging out in the harbor for a couple of months, and then a massive typhoon struck, sank the Mongol fleet, and killed like almost all of the Mongols. And the Japanese called it the Kamikaze Wind. Yeah, great job. Okay, can you tell us about? I think it's considered one of the. Most disastrous attempts at naval invasion in history. 
So the right the the French originally right Florida eventually got conquered by the Spanish. Uh, but the French originally had claims to it. Wait, this is in the Middle Ages? This is in 1565. Okay. So early age of enlightenment. So yeah, 1565, the French had a fort in Florida. Where was Oh, a hurricane destroyed the French fleet. And then the Spanish were able to just move in like unopposed. That's, I mean, and take over Florida. It's been happening in Florida <laughs> for centuries. The same thing. Well, yeah. and then, Or more recently in New Orleans which was the, the largest uh, internal migration in American history was after Hurricane Katrina. But I'm I getting, didn't know that. I'm getting ahead of okay. ourselves. So I was just talking about in the Middle Ages, there are these observations of lightning and of rainbows. People were really obsessed with rainbows, I guess because a lot of dark, dark things were happening and they were like, wow, rainbows are really pretty. So you want to hear about rainbows now? Yeah. Okay. Just just like our mixing, boy Shen Hao and We're mixing up the order. I thought you were going to talk about clouds first. Oh, I mean people don't get interested in clouds until a bit later though. Okay. Well, then I'll tell you about rainbows. So yeah, why do rainbows happen? So, if everybody out there listening, try to recall the last time you saw a rainbow when you looked at it, where was the sun when you were looking at the rainbow? above i think was like the afternoon we saw a bunch of them in hawaii yeah yeah it was never behind the rainbow it's often it can be above if it's like around midday but often the sun will be behind you and it's because the what you're actually seeing with the rainbow is that the little water droplets of like water suspended in the air or in a rain shower act like a, a prism and so sunlight from behind you hits the water droplet where it splits into little color bands and it reflects off the back of the water droplet and then hits your eye. So if you're a kid and you're or an adult and you're drawing a rainbow, don't draw the sun in the same picture. No. Little kids always like to draw a rainbow and then the sun up in the corner. It's wrong. Inaccurate. You'll never see them both at the same time. The reason it forms a bow is because if you imagine this little system of like sun observer and then like raindrops as like a screen out in front of the observer in like a straight line. Right, you're seeing this reflection of the spectrum. It would be a circle, but the Earth gets in the way of the bottom part of this circle. So that's why you don't see the rest of the, the circle. You just see the arc. So we were also talking about lightning. So I, uh, Shen Hao was like writing about lightning. Um, and then Columbus, actually, he experienced a tropical cyclone. And he, this is the first written European account of a hurricane. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess they'd explored to the east and seen, like, typhoons. I'm surprised, like, Magellan didn't hit a hurricane at all. I may, maybe he did, Depends but he didn't, on the he didn't write about he didn't it. complain about it. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to talk about what, what happens with lightning? Yeah. Lightning is great because you it's still being studied, a lot of the nuance of it. But the really simple explanation is it's just like when you're a kid and you rub your shoes on the carpet— to generate static electricity, that is mini lightning. And it's the same principle just on the scale of like, a, you know, a cloud system that can stretch tens of miles. But what happens is it, it's always cumulonimbus clouds, which are clouds that... Well, uh, uh, what? we'll talk about it. We I'm talk just about saying, clouds. that's the name of the clouds that produce uh, yes. lightning and thunderstorms. They're cumulonimbus nimbus clouds. They tend to be very tall. And the temperature in the middle of that cloud is generally, it has to be like around negative 15 Celsius. 
And generally, the air closer to the ground is warmer, and the air higher. Well, what is causes it? Why is there static? And is it the cloud running in the sky? No. So specifically, the remember that temperature. It's below freezing. Okay. So you get a bunch of ice crystals, and if and often like the cloud is formed, warm air is rising up from the ground. It's cooling down. That contains a lot of water vapor, and uh, the the water vapor like you know it freezes in different sizes. So if it gets like too large and like ice condenses, it forms a, a pretty like, I don't know, probably like millimeter size little piece of hail or whatever. It's a little piece of ice. That's called grapnel. Yeah. Oh, I have that as one of the types of precipitation. It's a frosty kind of snow. Yeah. What is it? Gra- grapnel? Grapnel? It's looking at my notes. Graupel. Graupel. Thank you. It's a frosty right. kind of snow. It forms in below freezing temperatures when snow crystals in the cloud collide with cold water droplets. Yeah. Water droplets freeze loosely into the snow, giving grapple a slushy texture. So grapple is, is relatively heavy, whereas the smaller droplets, like microscopic water, like ice crystals or water, are still light. So they keep getting carried upwards. And it has to do, I'm not sure exactly why one of these is more favorable for electrons to collect than the other, but the graupel tends to pick up excess electrons as it like collides with these water droplets. Because the graupel is kind of like neutral buoyancy or it's actually sinking while the smaller water vapor and ice crystals are going up. So they rub against each other. Okay. But on the scale of like, you know, so it's a water several mile wide cloud. And slush rubbing together. Rubbing together because some of it's rising and some of it's just staying steady okay. or falling. So the top of the cloud all these water droplets have lost electrons to the heavier grapple, so the middle of the cloud becomes negatively charged. The okay. top of the cloud gets positively charged, and that negative charge in the cloud also induces a positive charge on the ground. Okay, so, so there's... This, the charge builds up. The charge of them rubbing together is what kind of charge? Well, it's, it's like... Sta- it's neutral. You could call it, I guess, static charge. Is it positive or negative? The ground becomes positively charged. Okay. The cloud, middle of the cloud becomes negatively okay. charged. And yeah, because the the two charges are attracted to each other and eventually uh, it builds up such that like the charge really would like to connect. Nature doesn't like things being out of balance mm-hmm. uh, in general. Um, and so the a conduit is created basically like the charge builds up enough that it actually creates, I think it's the size of like your wrist roughly is what lightning actually is. And <gasps> the air becomes a plasma uh, where basically fire, <laughs> like a huge bolt of fire, uh, superheats the air create in this little channel branching from the cloud to another cloud or more often to the ground. And that superheated air expands rapidly and, and it creates a pressure shockwave, which is what thunder is. So thunder is actually, you've superheated a tiny little branch of air from a cloud all the way to the ground that expands super fast and creates a shockwave. It's like God's finger. Yeah. And then all the charge can travel down that like electrical path through the plasma to even out the charge between the two. And that's what the lightning is doing. It's kind of like you touching your finger to a doorknob, but on, you know, a very large scale. If it gets the temperature changes in the cloud. Well, no, so then all the, the negatively charged cloud is like was an excess of electrons and they get to all jump down to the ground and the charges even out. Okay. And then, but this process keeps continuing, right? It's like, it's not like the water 
this is what I mean. What, what what stops it? Like when it cloud runs out of water or like when no, eventually it gets, the, the cloud, temperature changes. Yeah, the cloud runs out of water or it disperses or another wind comes through or like who knows, the cloud drifts over or something. So the atmosphere in the troposphere, the lower atmosphere, is constantly changing and moving around too. Okay. Because the bottom of the cloud is made of heavier water crystals and the top is lighter stuff, the top of the cloud spreads out. And that's why it looks like an anvil. Can uh, I tell you some fun facts about lightning that I, are just like... I told you to start with clouds. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm going to talk about... You, you just wait. All right, tell me about the clouds. No, I want to tell you about lightning really quick. So like, just like fun, stupid facts about lightning. So men are, I think, four times more likely to be struck by lightning than women. Yeah, because they go outside during... They're the taller, I don't know. They're big. They're big and tall. I uh, the prime like danger time for being struck by lightning is, I believe it is like June through September, and the the highest like day of lightning accidents is July fourth. I was gonna guess that. Yeah, because people don't want to go inside when a thunderstorm moves in because they're setting off fireworks. Exactly, and or maybe they think they're like it's just a fire or they can't hear the. It's also probably more likely you're out in a field because yep. you want to see the fireworks. And Florida is the number one place of like lightning accidents. A lot of people don't die from them. There's a Guinness Book. I forget his name. There's a Guinness Book of World Record guy who like, who got struck by lightning like four times. Wow. Which is extremely rare. Like that's like the probability of that is like wild. Um, I do know someone who whose sibling actually died as a child from getting struck wow. by lightning. Yeah, I mean, it, it leaves like insane scars because you're part of a column of plasma that's 20,000 degrees Celsius. So, yeah, it's it's like intense. Uh, you're conducting a huge amount of electricity through your body. Oh, and if you want to protect yourself, if there's thunder and lightning, you count the seconds in between them. And if it's like more than 10 seconds then go to shelter but if it's like less than 10 seconds in between the thunder and lightning it's too late then you should try to find some shelter but not under a tree yeah <laughs> because like the tree as, is as like we a just detailed, the whole thing is that the cloud is has a bunch of electrons and they want to get to the ground so they're looking for the closest thing they can connect to to get to the ground so a tree that's sticking up in the middle of a field is a great target is like an antenna for the lightning to hit or a person who's running around in like a flat field is like a great thing for the yeah, electrons so get, to all connect through. Get low to the ground. Yeah. If you were to I, cover. Yeah. If you were laying down, it's probably fine. Uh, it's going to look for some exposed surface. What do you do if you're in a vehicle and there's like a major lightning storm? Oh, you're safe as long as you don't touch the metal like parts of the car because it, the car will actually direct the lightning into the ground. So if you just, like, go inside the car, you're good. I've even seen that the car itself can't, because it's on rubber tires, which are, rubber's a very good insulator, the car itself won't actually, and the car is metal itself, won't pick up, like, a bunch of charge. Right. It's really not even a good it's target like a for the lightning. Slide, like, the lightning will kind of go, whoop, and, like, go over it, and, so, like, the car will push it yeah, into the ground. Yeah, it just doesn't even want to connect to the car because it doesn't really see the car as a good target to, like, connect to. Yes. So, so. stay in the car. Yeah, but don't touch the metal parts because they could get hot or something. I don't know. I think you'll be fine. That's what I read. Most cars have an interior anyway. Who's like, whose car doesn't 
I mean, have leather seats and plastic. I know some people. Okay. My car is wood. Got hard wood throughout my vehicle. My car's a tree. <laughs> yeah. Wait. <laughs> oh, no. This is the famous famous bumper plate. Oh, as uh, you were you were saying, count the seconds. Do you know why? You can tell how far away a storm is. Oh, because of like the sound. Sound travels faster than light. Correct. Opposite. Or opposite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you count. Yeah. Light is more or less you'll see it instantaneously when the lightning happens the speed of light is so much faster than sound whereas sound travels about a thousand feet a second so when you count to five or count to ten so five seconds is roughly a mile for sound to travel so if what you were saying if you can can count to ten between seeing lightning and hearing the thunder that means the storm is two miles away and if you hear the thunder first then it's weird (laughs) (laughs) then then there might be something wrong with you something wrong with you or maybe it's a lightning bolt you didn't see it yes okay so i'll get us up to cloud i'll get us up to cloud speed i'll tell you a few more like little inventions and then we'll get to like when people were obsessed with clouds one more lightning term for you before you go okay okay before Before, i go before you go before you go off in the clouds uh there's a an entire study of paleontology called paleo lightning (laughs) <laughs> that's clever which is a study of primordial lightning because there are theories that uh life began on earth as a result of lightning strikes because lightning can uh before there were like organic compounds like lightning can interact with inorganic compounds organic compounds and they have done a bunch of experiments of like lightning with like the building blocks of like what if we put a bunch of carbon and nitrogen in here and they've seen like it can form amino acids are like the building blocks of life pretty crazy really cool yeah so there are theories that life originated on earth because of lightning strikes way back four billion years ago but there are other theories that it came here from other planets Hmm. Hmm. okay well do you oh there's copernicus who i think we talked about in the science like we like a science fact or like a we had an astro the astronomy astronomy yeah Love Copernicus. Copernicus. He had the heliocentric model where the sun is at the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of crucial to like weather forecasting and stuff like that. Galileo, uh, someone who is in t- constant uh, turmoil because he loved the church, but the church didn't love his, his science. Mm-hmm. He invented the thermoscope, which was basically a thermometer. And that's something that I think the church was okay with. You had a moment of yeah, solace that was, with that. Yeah, that was use, useful, probably. So a kind of thermometer. Yeah. Okay. Kepler, he studied snow crystals. I don't suppose you didn't come across. When did they invent the thermometer? That that was when they invented the thermometer. Oh, Galileo's was the first one? Yes. It was just a new kind of thermometer. No, that's why I'm telling you about it. I'm not just going to tell you the second thermometer is the first thermometer. Oh, cool. But it was called the thermoscope. I feel like everything they invented was like a type of scope at that time. Kepler studied snow crystals and... I guess Kepler had microscopes, so they were looking at snowflakes. Mm-hmm. Back then, they were doing the grade school experiment. Yeah, exactly. Medici had a weather observing network, which I assume was just like kind of the mafia that would just snitch on the weather to each other. Yeah, a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys in towers, like <laughs> like, and they would shoot an arrow to the next tower and be like, "It's it's raining over here." It's raining, man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you skip Pascal. 
Oh, blase. Blase. Yeah. He talked about atmospheric pressure decreasing with height. Which is, it turns out to be crucial to the atmospheric uh, weather systems. Here's something that you're going to want to talk about. I can't wait to talk about the atmospheric air current. Yes. It's very cool. Well, you want to talk about it now? No, no, no. Keep going. Okay. There's Edmund Halley, who studied trade winds. Haley. Haley's comment. Oh, oh, hey, oh, Haley. Yeah. His name is spelled Halley for anyone who wants to Google him. Okay. Robert Hooke, you also skipped over. I don't know what the pressure plate. Right. That's because this shit isn't the, exciting for this. Robert Hooke, other... uh, they think he may have been the first to observe Jupiter's red spot, which is a giant storm. Oh, okay. But other people believe it was Cassini. Well, Who, who's it? Giovanni Cassini. Cassini. Your cousin. Isaac Newton. He had. His laws of motions, cooling, and refraction theories helped the advancement of meteorology. Um, a lot of the models, of like the equations and stuff that that meteorologists put into a computer today, are like based on some of his. Newton also invented the colors and studied optics in his book Optics. Oh yeah, so, uh, so he, I'm sure he understood rainbows as well. So in the 1700s, we <laughs> we have Gabriel Fahrenheit. Okay, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. He introduced the Fahrenheit scale. Mm-hmm. And then Anders Celsius was like, you know what? I'm going to do you one better and invent the Celsius scale. Well, they have different uses, right? And yes, what are they? The Celsius scale, which is a cornerstone of the metric system, uh, is good because it's it's based on water, right? Water boils at 100 degrees and freezes at zero degrees at sea level at atmospheric pressure. Whereas the Fahrenheit scale is much more useful for your day to day as humans, like probably the extremes of of like temperature you'll experience mm. as a person walking around outside in your body is between zero and one hundred degrees. You should not experience <laughs> that extreme within your own body. Depends how cold your heart is, I suppose. <laughs> oh, your favorite uh, favorite scientist who did everything, Benjamin Franklin. Just kidding. Alex does not think Benjamin Franklin was that cool. No. I thought... Now, Tesla. Tesla, right. Tesla, you're on to something. Or Archimedes, sure. The timeline is like he demonstrated the electrical nature of lightning, which I guess he just had some keys. Which everyone knew about already. They were doing experiments on the nature of electricity in like the 1600s. And then, yeah, Ben Franklin comes along. A hundred years later... Almost electrocutes himself by flying a kite in a storm with keys at the end, which everybody knows because he was trying to capture like the electricity from the lightning strike, <laughs> which is like, how stupid is that? Yeah. And like they already knew at this point, like it was <laughs> it, it's a major concern for a ship. And like they knew that lightning could like set fire to a ship or like split your main mast like all the way down the middle. And this guy is flying with a little he key. Was- you know what? Like he was the something. he was like the the guy who put the balloons on his lawn chair, like of that time. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, great discovery, but pretty wild. All right, stuff is about to get interesting. Okay. In the 19th century. Well, before you get too far. Okay. I do want to call out. We've skipped some amateur meteorologists whose names actually are associated with the like far and away the most important like weather phenomena. Okay. Okay, so there's, and and I'll explain what they discovered like afterwards. But uh, yeah, we have to talk about George Hadley, who is an English lawyer and amateur meteorologist. And George Hadley kind of theorized, and he was right, uh, 
basically like how large scale weather phenomena happens, like like how uh, the motion of air throughout the like Earth's atmosphere. He's the trade winds cool. guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, ha- I talked about. Oh, I, I thought I you were mentioned. saying it was Haley, oh. Edmund Haley. Yeah. Yeah, it was trade winds, but also. Oh, but Hadley. Hadley was later. Oh, I do. I do have that he studied trade winds. But yeah. that's all that Hadley's in like the mid 1700s when trade winds were very yep. important because it was the age of sail. And there also was a meteorologist named William Farrell, who's about 100 years later in the 1800s. And so there's a, a Hadley cell, a Farrell cell, and the polar cell uh, are your like three main atmospheric cur- currents. Yeah, I have, uh, I do have in the Earth's like in the troposphere. So in the 1800s, though, that's when like. That's yeah. when we have our first, like, true meteorologist, meaning that his sole job becomes these, weather forecasting. These guys are walking around in front of a green screen on local television, <laughs> pointing out cloud formation. So have you ever heard of Robert Fitzroy? No. Have you ever heard of Darwin? Yes. Okay, so... <laughs> the, the HMS Beagle. Yes, Robert Fitzroy was... His, was the head, it was, like, the captain of that ship, or the admiral of that ship the beagle and they were like besties yeah darwin was not the captain he was like just there taking notes right but for the ride so robert fitzroy saw there was like a a lot of like very terrible like sea accidents at that time so fitzroy decided to do to he was like you know what if i can like warn people about storms then maybe like more of my friends won't die so he decided to use the telegraph, which was invented in the 1840s, and it was being used to play long-distance dis- games of chess. Nice. He was like, okay, I'm going to use the telegraph, and basically there were these like weather maps circulating. Um, there was like another guy who was like making the weather maps, selling them on his Etsy or whatever, and Fitzroy was like, can you, can you all like report back to me and tell me if like the weather map is accurate or not. And then he like he he would modify it, and he would update his. He, would, he would use the telegraph to like trace the storm. He was like a, the original like storm, the chaser. storm chaser. Yeah, via via telegraph. So he was he was like the first meteorologist. Um, and in 1861, the first forecast for the general public was published in the Times. Basically, was like winds from the north, winds from the east. Fine, and it would say fine at the end of each, you know, just every they, day. Or if it was bad, would it say something else? No, no. This is what the first forecast said. I, oh. I, I just, I took like shorthand, but it was basically like tra- it was like trade winds from the north, trade winds from the east. Fine, and if it's it said fine, meaning like it, you know, that uh, it would be fine outside. The trade was good. Okay. Nice. Do you want to talk about trade winds? Yeah. This is uh, when I was talking about weather is influencing the entire course of human history. Trade winds are a huge part of that. So the age of sail and colonization of the new world, when we like our pilgrims episode couldn't have happened without the trade winds. Um, The entire like, I don't know, our like Spanish empires episode with the Spanish like invasion of like, you know, the South America is like only worked because they knew and were able to sail across the Atlantic. So, a good question, which Hadley set out to answer and was able to explain, because he was like, why are, there's very strong winds at certain, um, 
uh, latitudes, basically. It's certain like north-south directions as you move up and down the Atlantic, north to south. There's strong winds in either direction. And he was like, why is that? And the answer is, and I'll see if I can explain this to you, because I think <laughs> it's very cool. Oh, and hopefully the listeners will get it too. Okay, so we have to think of first, the Earth is a sphere. It circles around the sun. The sun is strongest Whoa. at the equator. Was that okay to say at that time? No, it was people a little cool. too soon. Okay. <laughs> the, the sun is strongest at the equator because the light is directly hitting the Earth. Okay. Whereas further north, the sun we, is at a glancing angle, right? Is why it's yeah. cooler. Okay, so this means that air right along the equator gets heated up more. That uh, hot air is like, uh, what is it? It holds more moisture, but it like, so it's, uh, you're more likely to get rain, uh, but also warm air rises. So that air, because of like being heated right at the equator, kind of dumps its like water off and then rises. Mm -hmm. So you have this rising current of air all along the equator coming up. So where's it going to go? And the Earth's weather, because of atmospheric layering and how the atmosphere works, kind of ends at about 15 miles up. Then you just have a layer of, like, the ozone Junk. layer and some other stuff. Yeah. Ozone layer is very important, but that's for another episode. Uh, so the, the air rises up. It has nowhere to go. So it then kind of heads north and south along the equator. It's come off the surface, and now it's, like, up at the top of the atmosphere or the top of the troposphere. So it spreads north and south. It then travels, like pretty far, like several thousand miles north or south. Uh, and by that point, it kind of has cooled down as it heads north uh, because it's like radiating its heat into space and it's at the top of the atmosphere and there's kind of nothing above it. So as it cools down, it then sinks once it gets okay. pretty far north. So the middle of the earth, really hot, the air, So you can imagine this air. plume of air coming up, spreading and going like that okay. on the surface of this round earth. However... <gasps> Oh, the Earth. What is it like when you play air hockey? Sort of, because it, it like pushes the puck, right? It yeah, causes. That's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, it. So yeah, the air okay. comes to either side of it because the puck's in the way. Yeah. In this case, there's what's called the tropopause, but there's a layer basically where like weather does just kind of stops below it, so it spreads like the air hockey puck to either side. Okay. Meanwhile, and this is where it gets a little trickier to envision, when the air rose, and this is known as the Coriolis effect. It's why toilet water spins the other direction in toilet bowls in uh, the Southern Hemisphere. The Coriolis effect refers to if a phenomenon happens in a rotating frame, uh, it looks different, I guess, is the way to think of it. Okay. So the air, when it rose, was on the equator. It was spinning around the Earth, which was rotating, right? Uh, but as it comes north... Because the Earth, like the actual diameter of the Earth shrinks as you go up the oh. sphere, that air has the same angular momentum. It's still moving at the same speed as it was at the equator, which is like 25,000 miles per day. But now it's coming out of like a smaller like hole, quote unquote. Like but it's, it's now a smaller distance, but it's still moving at the same speed. So it so appears more. to be moving east. It actually seems like it's going faster uh, to the east. Is it, though? Yeah, relative to the air below it that's kind of just hanging out on the surface of the Earth, this air is now moving faster above okay. it, up in the top of the troposphere. Now when the air sinks uh, down, it's actually got like a velocity, like an east-west velocity. Okay, and cool. And so as it sinks, it ends up going the other direction and going west. So uh, 
As, As a result, what's you, a trade wind? So you have trade winds, which basically means if you want to cross the Atlantic from Europe to America, you go south first along the coast, and then you can catch a really badass western wind. Oh, it's like a it's like a riptide, but air. Exactly. Okay, got it. And if you want to come from America back to uh, England, you you go north along the coast, and you'll catch a trade wind. Uh, <laughs> same thing exists for the Pacific as as well, and this enabled global commerce you know, before airplanes. And if you didn't have this, you could not have global commerce. There's so much energy in that air current. It's like, you know, it's planetary-wide, like, uh, heat cell, basically, like, driving this air current. There really isn't much, like, uh, there aren't extremes or variations in the weather very much near the equator. And there's a pretty much identical system up at the pole. Kind of the opposite thing happens at the North and South Pole because it's the coldest part of the Earth, right? So you can imagine the opposite thing. You have yes. another cell. Okay, so your dude, so who's sell, he, that was Hadley he's studying them, right? Yeah, and he says this. He basically says what you said, and he he's ex- like, he explains why weather. Okay, yeah. he he explains the trade winds. He loves he the, trade. the trade winds. But the other takeaway is that we, as like North Americans, have a unique experience with weather, and a lot of uh, people in like major cities. Uh, live in this zone where there's a whole lot of weather phenomena and like daily highs and lows and a bunch of fluctuations. Like this week compared to last week in New York City has been crazy. And if you're above, uh, or sorry, if you're below 30 degrees latitude or you're above 60, so if you're like further north or if you're closer to the equator, you don't have that kind of variation Uh, in your weather. Wait, I didn't even know that. What about the jet stream? So the jet stream is at the edge of the feral cell. Okay, and it's part of the trade winds, or it's yeah. Hadley cell is around this belt around the equator. Polar cell is up at the north, and then between the two, that's the is, is the feral cell, and the border between yeah, and like at the edge of, and top oh. of the feral cell, you have the jet stream. It's where the hot and cold air like mix a lot, and so there's a lot of like crazy ass weather when that happens. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Yeah, it's... or it's that one of these two air currents are colliding. Right, that's exactly. Yeah, but rather than smash into each other, they, like, split. Right, but they're, like, going past each other, and then they, like, throw shade, and that causes, like, tornadoes and stuff. They're just like, I hate you. It's, uh, yeah, it's referred to as this river or current of air that moves at, like, 100 miles an hour in the upper troposphere. Yeah. Which is just two two shady, different (laughs) pressure pockets of air that don't want to mix. So they're, like, they're, like, going off in different directions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Okay. All right. Way there's to go, your, uh, Hadley. So there's thank you. Now also, you know the jet stream. I do. And the trade. I mean, and I've you know known trade, the trade winds, but now, yeah, yeah I understand them. <laughs> and the game. I understand the game they play. <laughs> the wicked <Yeah>. game. <laughs> yeah. They're breezy. They're breezy. Let's talk about clouds. It's time. I can't. Can't can't keep it inside. You're gonna tell us about clouds, or you're gonna tell us meteorological terms. Oh, oh yeah, I can, I can. I mean, I was gonna do this because it's like the 1800s. Like, I guess we can we can end with like the terms and with like sayings and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Famous weather sayings. Okay. This is the part of the episode I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. And the terms, so that way you can sound smart and kind of kind of smart. So in the early 1800s. Luke Howard writes this paper called On the Modification of Clouds. And cloud, the word cloud actually didn't exist before he, the clouds were called essences. And he was like, I'm just going to call them clouds. 
Yes. I told you, though, in Spanish, they're like, you know, nubles. All right, so he publishes a, a paper. Well, here's the interesting thing, because he, he was a pharmacist, but he decided to go into this, like, Illuminati Royal Society. In this society, they had it's to... not Illuminati. I mean, Isaac Newton was a member of the Royal Society. It's like the British Academy of Sciences. But it's it's the Linnaean, it's the Linnaean Society. Oh, that probably is, is a secret yeah. society. Okay, sorry. I thought it was the Royal Society. Oh, he was a fellow of the Royal Society, but then he was like, you know what? Not subversive enough for me, so I'm going to join the Linnaean Society, which yeah. is like... And in, in that cutters. society, they had to... Uh, every member had to like r- write a paper like for funsies and read it for the society. So he was like... Yeah, I'm going to categorize some clouds. Okay. So what categories did he come up with? Right. And you've heard of like the Linnaean classification system, right? No. Okay. So there's the cumulus, stratus, and cirrus clouds. And then there's there's sort of like uh, hybrid clouds. In his essay, he had like detailed drawings. And they're very, actually like very beautiful, very beautiful drawings. I wish science drawings were this beautiful. They're like oil paintings. Of clouds. Yeah. Very nice. And he believed that the cloud formation and destruction were visible signs of atmospheric processes that were based on laws of physics. And when he said that, they were like, they were like, so I'll, I'll break it down. Do you remember anything? Like, I feel like in some sort of grade school, you go over the types of clouds, right? Did you do that? We did, but I never really paid attention to it. But I, I remember like cirrus, cumulonimbus. Okay. Cumulus are the really puffy ones. Okay. So it actually has to do with the level in the atmosphere that they are. So they're classified according, according to their height and their, their, their texture. Genus of clouds is cirro is the root, which means curl of hair. And they're like the high clouds. They're high level clouds. They're 20... A thousand feet or above and they have the they have the prefix zero they're very so like five miles up yeah so those clouds are living in the stratosphere they are or maybe even i think they can even drift into the mesosphere so here's three kinds of cirrus clouds there's the straight up cirrus which are they're delicate and feathery and they're made of mostly ice crystals their wispy shape comes from wind currents and the weather prediction is a change is on its way, I guess, because the wind is like blowing them. First off. Yes. What is a cloud? Oh, clouds are water droplets or ice crystals that are floating in the sky. Yes. What keeps them up there? The atmospheric <laughs> pressure. And because they're they like it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they enjoy it. Do you know they're really heavy? They're like tons heavy. They're heaps. Well, they're spread out. If you could condense an entire cloud, sure. Oh, I could. could I totally could. But they're, that. you know, they're spread out very far. Well, they're huge and heavy. They're big boys. Sure. I just think that's cute. I'm just imagining like a sick, I don't know why it's sick, but I guess because it's like floppy. Like you carry, you're like, oh no, we need to get help for this cloud. Because we, the, uh, the Earth's atmosphere, right, is like, uh, it's much denser. There's way more stuff in it the closer you get to Earth. So in the troposphere, that bottom, like, 10 miles of it is 99% of the water vapor and, like, gases that are that make up the whole atmosphere. And above that, it gets very thin. 
Mm. Mm-hmm. So these clouds are like <laughs> they're barely they're barely there. They're ba- oh. <laughs> don't don't body shame them. these wispy stratosphere and mesosphere clouds. They're- There's the cirro stratus, which they're thin white clouds that they cover the whole sky like a veil. Mm. And a lot of times you see them in the winter. They sometimes do that like cute little halo around the sun and a or cold. When you see a little halo around the moon too, right? Sure. Yeah. That's like ice crystals in the upper atmosphere. Yes. And do you know what the weather prediction of that is? Cold? Rain snow? or snow will arrive within 24 hours. Oh, wow. You better watch out. It's going to be cold winter rain too, probably. It's going to suck. And then there's there's zero cumulus. Okay. So they're thin, sometimes patchy. They're like sheet clouds. They look like they're made of, they're, they have like little ripples. Yes. Yeah, what is cumulus? Like cirro, you said, is like curling. Right. So these are all different and types wispy. of cirrus, which are the very high yeah. clouds. Yes. I have, okay, the next ones <laughs> okay. are the mid-level clouds, which for some weird reason, the prefix for that is alto, which you would think. It's like Starbucks. Yeah, I was, yeah it totally <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah, it's like, okay. Grande? No, that's a small. Mid-level clouds. Okay, mid-level clouds. They are between uh, 6,000 and 20,000. Alto cumulus, the alto stratus, and the nimbostratus. These clouds also look pretty pretty patchy, and actually the alto stratus and the nimbostratus are legit just like a gray sky. (laughs) They look a lot like the cirrostratus, huh? They're like patchier, I think. Cirrus is like more wispy, and these are more... Patchy. These clouds live between one and four miles up. Yes. Mid- level. <laughs> they're they they're flat and uniform clouds. They indicate the approach of a warm front and may thicken and lower into stratus. Um, if there's gonna be rain or snow. And if they also are like responsible for just like that gray or blue ass like winter sky or storm sky. Okay. Um, yeah, if you see a, gr- if a gray sky, then there's going to be continuous rain or snow. And if the sky is like a lighter gray, it means that there's just going to be gloomy. It's just going to be gloomy, maybe with snow. Okay, but you're all excited about the cumulus, and you should be because like those are They're the, the most cute personable. little baby They're cutie the most ones. Cloud. So cumulo means heap. Oh. Yeah, pile. Pile clouds. Got it. Oh, but there is a zero cumulus. Yes. So I'll there okay. So there's it's like cumulus, a wispy heap. These are the low level. There's cumulus stratus and and cumulonimbus. Right? So just straight up cu- cumulus clouds are fluffy white cotton balls. They're beautiful. Um in especially in sunsets. They're just like the most beautiful picturesque little angels. And they predict fair weather because they're adorable and we love them. So then there's the just stratus clouds and they're like thin white sheets covering the whole sky. So I think in, in like big sky country, also known you might as see them. Fog. Or Ireland. Yeah, exactly. A, yeah. Cumulonimbus. So the, this is the other like big boy rock star. It's, a, it's like a hybrid between like the nimbo cloud and the cumulo cloud and that's like a thunderstorm cloud so those are the ones that are like cumulonimbus as we said has the anvil the anvil yeah because they spread out at the top because of the the little water vapor spreading out while the grau 
Graupel, Graupel or whatever, yeah. is like sinking down in a column below it. Then in the stratocumulus is like the honeycomb clouds. So they're they're like the cumulus, but they're a little bit more sinister. And it's that's actually what the weather prediction for them is. It's like it's okay, but like it might get worse. Yeah, there's like too many. There's yeah, you're like, what's up? Like, you're like, like sus. <laughs> yeah, they're not just hanging out like a little, a little cumulus cloud. There's like, it's like a cloud system. It's like a gang of clouds. Yeah, you're like worrying. Mm? There's only a couple patches of sky visible. Yeah, that's trouble. It's trouble. I like there's there's a section in your notes special which is titled clouds. special clouds. I'm gonna tell you about some special clouds. <laughs> okay, yeah. And you can learn more about even like even more than this if you join the cloud appreciation society which i just became a member of today yeah it's like 25 dollars a year i didn't know there's a membership fee you get you get an enamel pin and a, a, a book i think in a cloud of the day and uh you get invited to the meeting i know they have like a meeting you're gonna, go, you're gonna go to the conference oh i might it's a, it's at the javits center it's, it's it, i mean i hope it's in a place with nicer clouds yeah, new york here. city doesn't really have great clouds montana great clouds okay so there's contrails which i think people it's like uh acorn people say chemtrails Be, that's the thing from the airplane they're both linked to conspiracy like totally unfounded conspiracy theories yes contrails are just yeah the the water vapor from behind like a plane or like a, a jet yes. engine um because it locally like it's very hot and you're dragging they're man-made clouds yeah they're man-made clouds like little streaks it's also sky riding chemtrails is people accusing those planes or those of clouds having chemicals of having chemicals in them so it's it, they can actually tell you how much moisture is in the sky though yeah, because um, you won't get them if there's no moisture. And yeah, there's they're yeah. like how you do skywriting. Do you know what the most thing skywritten is in history? Will you marry me? No, it's actually Lucky Brand cigarettes advertising. They did the most like skywriting ever. So it's like Lucky cigarettes are lucky for you or whatever is like the most. And written. they would just write that in the cloud. Yes, and I I've only seen skywriting in person at Coney Island. Oh, yeah. I have seen it. But there's also the much cheaper practice of you could just have a banner that you fly flying behind you, which yeah. you see in Miami where they're like, come to the club. Yeah. <laughs> the club. Pitbull at the club. There's mam mamatus clouds, which are alto cumulus cirrus or cumulonimbus, other types of clouds that have like these pouch shapes hanging out of the bottom. The pouches are created when cold air within the cloud sinks down towards the earth. And that means that there's going to be some crazy ass weather. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and then we talked about the mountain, the orographic clouds. They get their shape from the mountains, like from going over mountains or hills. Which is where Kona coffee comes from. Those exactly. are orographic clouds that uh, drop the rainfall on the coffee plantations on the Kona, on the, the southwest side of the big island every morning. All right. Yes. So those are some interesting clouds. Fog is a layer of stratus clouds, but it's near the ground, so it counts. There are other man-made clouds out there. It's true. But people have tried to do it because they're like, we to fix droughts and stuff like that, mostly. Yeah, basically, they're just like 
there's water vapor, there's like humidity around, but it's not enough for us to get rain for our crops. Yeah. So how can we make this happen? Or maybe we would like there to be rain, but like not on our city, but like over there, it could rain a lot and that would be cool. So we wouldn't have to deal with rainy days. And it turns out they like, I think this was really like around World War II when they did all the crazy geoengineering uh, and climate experiments. Uh, they realized if you fly a plane through, I think through a cloud or through even like the ma- the beginnings of a cloud and spray iodine into it. Yeah, it was. That will like lead to the formation of a cloud and can like make a cloud start raining. Or whatever. Oh, he worked for know. GE. Yeah, yeah, 1946. So yeah, World War II era. Yeah. No, 1891, oh, wow. dude. Oh, even earlier. Yeah. Oh, he suggested it. Oh, he suggested. And then... Yeah, they didn't try it until they had... Until they... He was just like, with a gun? Well, I guess the plane had to be invented first. True. If this guy <laughs> suggested in 1891. They didn't have planes yet. But, but once they did... Oh, and then there are all these like dry ice experiments. But basically what you need to know is it's like you shoot these different chemicals. Usually they're like salts. Like, you can do, like, sodium chloride or the different things. Um, if you shoot it, in, like, in into the sky, it can form this, like, crystal structure, right? And then you get a cloud. Well, yeah, in, in that sense, it really is a seed in that it's, like, uh, something for the waters to start coalescing onto to form into ice crystals. Yeah. That will then fall out it's of It's like the when you do the crystal experiment, when you, you have to do this, you put the, the salts on the string, and then you have the crystals need, like, a string to go up. So that's kind of yeah. How you make rock candy? Yeah, yeah, and like exactly. Super saturated sugar water, for example. Yeah, it's exactly that. And cotton candy is like a cloud. Yep. You think about it? yeah, sugar mm-hmm. clouds. So this is just a very funny thing that like Asia has China has the largest cloud seeding yeah, not, system. Let's not blame all of Asia. Yeah. Only the Chinese would really have the the gall to like that's try true. this out. Yeah. Um. So they will try to make it, they'll try to make it rain a lot it's not so different from making snow like exactly. the latest olympics they they had to make like massive well, amounts of snow no 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 they they wanted they wanted it to be dry they wanted to like rain out all they wanted the the beijing olympics to be dry yeah so they tried to make it rain like get all the rain out, out before, before they got, but, but they had to make snow for the slopes exactly Sometimes the clouds moved, so they would rain somewhere else, and then people got really mad. <laughs> like, stop, China, stop making it rain. <laughs> oh, if you live in, like, a suburb, like, 30 miles outside of Beijing or something, and you're like, it keeps raining. <laughs> yes. Like, you're dumping all the clouds before they get to the Olympic Stadium. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they they tried to induce the snowfall, and then um, this, the snowfall lasted for three days and led to the closure of 12 main roads. <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, they overdid it. Yeah. They got, they got a little carried away. <laughs> they were like, oops. <laughs> they really, they were like, we really want the snow. So, there, I mean, there's cloud seeding all over the world. Oh, the ownership of clouds. So there's been a lot of lawsuits over the ownership of clouds, too. There's a legal framework for ownership of clouds. Yeah. Because of the growing attractiveness of weather modification programs. And also the Cloud Appreciation Society, they have lobbied for like lots of new clouds because because people will post stuff and then like they'll they'll compare like all the pictures that people post Mm -hmm. and um they'll like propose names for them 
Wow. And some of them have been accepted as like no cloud nomenclature and some of them have been denied and it, you know. I suppose it's kind of sad. I I doubt anybody has ever followed a cloud from like its birth to its like dissipation. I mean, cloud seeding. <laughs> no, but the cloud just passes you by. You don't ever get to stick around to see what happens to <gasps> it. They just kind of like you know, because they get they like, you know, they drift by. It's a constant parade. And that's it. It's a Isn't constant that parade. ironic? The clouds rain on your parade, but they are the parade. Yeah. But if you took a like a hot air balloon or something and got to just hang out with one cloud for like a couple of days to see what happened to it. I mean, you can live with me, you know. I think that's the children's book I'm going to write. <laughs> yeah. I'll just keep this cloud look going for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. You can... I don't know how long they last. Do, do we even know? Like once a cloud forms, how oh, long does it stick around? It just until it gets like too heavy, until it gets too heavy and then Yeah, eventually or, like the, or the, the water wind particles are going to dissipate or the wind will break it up or it like probably runs into another cloud and then they're like they merge. Yes. Oh, I will say what the cloud like so if you're going to draw clouds, we just told people how to draw rainbows. So if you're going to draw clouds, the bottoms of them are flat. So no fluffy shit on the bottom. Crucial. Crucial yeah. detail. Why is that? They just flatten out as they get closer to the earth because of like, you know, their heads in the clouds. Yeah, my guess is it's probably like there's more air currents lower down that like shear off the bottom of it. Or maybe there's like heavier water vapor at the bottom of it. Yeah. Whereas like the lighter stuff up top can be kind of fluffy and bouncing around. D-Day was... They use weather forecasting for D-Day. Yeah. June like, 6th, to know, Instead of the 5th. Because there was a British team and an American team. And the American team was like, let's use past data to predict the weather. And the British team was like, no, we're going to use... Um, there's this model of like a room of computers. And by computers, I mean people computing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I think we talked about it in some other episode. So do you want to talk about do you, this room of computers? Do you know about this? Yeah, just in, it really first got applied during World War II during the code breaking, which we talked about like Turing, for example, leading like the the project, the Enigma project to like break the German codes. And a lot of that work was done by, they, they managed to like mechanize a lot of it, but a, a huge amount of it was done by humans, uh, often women. Uh, who were known as computers because people who computed stuff. That doesn't even have to do much with the weather. But anyway, this guy used a bunch of humans, or the British did, to predict the weather for D-Day. And they had a successful landing, and it all worked out, and yes. the Allies won. And if they had listened nice. to the people who didn't want to use math, they would have invaded... June 5th, and they would have invaded yeah, on a bad day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would have been rough. Yeah, I suppose final... Uh, Oh, do you want to... I definitely want to hear all the weather terms. I want to end with that. And My final little detail about clouds. Okay, Since yes. we talked about them all, it was going to be clouds and weather on other planets. Oh, yeah. So, because we said, like, lightning is not... It's not that wild a phenomenon. You would think it would exist on any planet with an atmosphere. Like, you're going to get uh, different areas or air currents that rub together that are carrying... Or maybe not air, but currents of gases that rub together... And they've, I think it was the Soviets first observed lightning on Venus or claimed that they did. And they've seen lightning on uh, other planets that have an atmosphere. So it's like a pretty common thing. If your planet has an atmosphere, it's going to have lightning. And then other planets do have storms. And the most famous storm in the solar system, I think, is the Great Red Spot. 
on Jupiter, first observed by either Robert Hooke or Giovanni Cassini. And it's been around for hundreds of years. The gray red spot is like twice the size of Earth. What? That's how big Jupiter is. Um, yeah, there's a storm that is twice the size of Earth. It, uh, it's been shrinking is kind of the sad thing. They think it might soon dissipate. Pieces of it are breaking off. But it's a, uh, yeah, they've taken like very close photos of it. It's this persistent area of high pressure just on the surface of Jupiter. Uh, and the clouds in that area are like eight miles higher than the rest of like the atmosphere on Jupiter. Uh, I don't know. It's absolutely wild. And yeah, there's like a little jet, there's a little jet stream that goes around it. It looks like Jupiter has just like an eyeball, which is just a storm that's been raging since we've known about Jupiter or been able to see it. So for like at least 500 years, it's pretty. So wild. if you're drawing Jupiter, draw a big red spot. Yeah, you got to give it the little red, the little, little red, red boop. These are some meteorology terms, right? Yeah, so that you can understand. Um, the weather like forecaster lingo. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Also, weather forecasting actually is pretty accurate. Like, don't really look at the percentages, but it's like, it actually is pretty accurate because the fact that, like, you know whether or not to bring an umbrella. The and it's next pretty day, accurate. Yeah. It's like, because people are always like, why is it always wrong? It's like, it's not really always wrong. I mean, I mean, not if you live in California. It is very <laughs> funny when you pull out your phone and it says like 30% chance of rain and it's currently raining where you're yeah. standing. But I think that's also in part because particularly in New York where we've got like a river on either side of you and like very like variable changing local weather, that forecast is probably just for your entire area. Yeah. In Hawaii, it's actually pretty accurate well, Hawaii, because they have so the, many weather stations because they have to because they have so many microclimates. Also, the weather is the same every day no it, remember when we were like we were at one place and then it we were looking and we're like oh is it gonna rain like a 10 miles down the road and we looked up their weather station and it was like no and that was correct and then we drove there and it was sunny yeah yes. so i think just the more weather stations you have the better and there's some places that actually their weather forecasting is getting worse because they're like their countries or places that are like losing money they're closing their local weather stations yeah, yeah. Yeah, the cold there's front cold front in. and warm front. These terms were invented around the the world wars too, so that's why they're like fronts. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it is just like a high pressure system or low pressure system. Yes, and low pressure is like cold wet weather, and high pressure is warm weather. Yeah, I think generally. Yep. I mean. Okay. There you go. But those like weather maps and stuff that those came from like the world wars, like. Oh, it was yeah. yeah, they do look a lot like troop movements right? when they draw the line with like little triangles yeah. on it for like the pressure system. Because they used it then and they, you know, that's the kind of maps they were into. So mm -hmm. um, let's see. I'm just looking at stuff that we didn't. Oh, a polar vortex. <laughs> it's a large area of low pressure that surrounds the Earth poles and exists there year round. And like you were saying, it has a counterclockwise. So we talked about the polar cell. Yeah. which is the movement of air kind of from north to south, the cycle by the pole. But around the edge of the polar cell is like a stream of air that moves because of Coriolis effect. And so it will like send off little floofs of like cold weather systems into the jet stream and then, that, then it will get to us. Yeah, so it tends to sort of isolate the very cold air over the Arctic and keep it over the Arctic. Yes. But occasionally it will dip down. 
a nor'easter is a large storm along the coast of the U.S. So this is a very funny thing because when they talk about the winds, and this threw me a lot, it's not the direction of the wind. It's where it's coming from. Coming from, from, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, the easterlies. And I'm looking at the arrows and I'm like, that's going west. But like it comes from the east. So nor'easter is when it's coming from the northeast out of the Atlantic onto shore where it's bringing like a bunch of rain in. Do you know that Pineapple Express is a weather term? No. I swear. Really? It's a type of atmospheric river in which the moisture is transported from the waters adjacent to the Hawaiian Islands and brings heavy rain to the Pacific coast of the U.S. and Canada. Oh, that's cute. Hawaii send, Hawaii's sending rain yep. to California. So when, you're, when your mom's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to send some rain, be like Pineapple Express. PDS, particularly dangerous situation. I've never heard of forecasters say that. Well, that's good. It means that the Storm Prediction Center and the National Weather Service says that there's going to be extremely dangerous, life-threatening weather. It's going to come. By the way, the power of the National Weather Service, I guess also Amber Alerts, to just override everybody's phone at well, the same time is pretty wild. You don't get flood alerts? No, I turn that shit off. Oh, my God. It's so loud. You're risking your life. It's so loud. When you work in an office, it's a, or probably this happened when you were at the gym, I mean, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody's phone goes, Yeah. <laughs> like, at the same time, and you all look at your phone, and you're like, all right, we're on the 30th story of an office building. It's not going to. Oh, a funnel cloud. Is a, it's, it can become a tornado if the funnel cloud reaches the ground. Mm. So a funnel cloud is like an air tornado. Got it. And a tornado is like wind lightning. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even talked much about tornadoes or cyclones. I just explained it. It's time. like wind lightning. Basically that. Yep. And then water spout is a tornado over a body of water. If it moves to land, it becomes a tornado. So just yeah. remember, tornadoes are like earth-born so creatures. Tornadoes and cyclones, by the way, have an eye, an area of low pressure in the center. Where it's peaceful and, and calm. And air spinning around it. But the center is low pressure. There are also weather systems, including the Great Red Spot, that are called anti-cyclones, where the center is high pressure. Ooh, that's weird. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I know that piece of information, but now you do too. Okay, so let's see if you, you've heard of like the weather, the weather sayings. Yeah, I love them. Okay, so. Red, yeah, sailor's delight. <laughs> red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Is that true? Red sky and that like the sunset if it's red. So a, a reddish sunset means the air is dusty and dry. Mm-hmm. So since the weather moves from west to east, red sky at sunset means it's going to be dry weather, good for sailing. Okay. But if it's the other way around, it means that the dry air is already passed and it's, it's, it's going to rain. Oh, yes. Beer before liquor. <laughs> It's never been wet. <laughs> the higher the clouds, the finer the weather. Do Do you think that's true it or seems false? Seems about right because we talked about cumulonimbus being low clouds. So if you spot wispy thin clouds, cirrus. Yeah, you can ex- um, very high. You can expect a spell of pleasant weather, but if they're smaller puff clouds in the morning or early afternoon, if the rounded tops of those clouds have extra flat bases. Or like they're growing higher, then that means that thunderstorms might. Like if they turn into the one of those like mm-hmm. anvil ones, they could be. The cumulonimbus. Yes. Clear moon, frost soon. That sounds about right, I think. 
yeah. So it, I guess the, the morning will be chilly if you can see the moon like super clear. Yeah, I think that implies there's like because it's below freezing or very cold that there's uh, probably less water vapor and more ice in the atmosphere. Ooh, rainbow in the morning gives you fair warning. So that means that a, a shower is in your near future. Oh, maybe if you're looking because like you need rain to have a rainbow. Right. So, yeah. Sure. Ring around the moon, rain real soon. <laughs> I don't believe that one. It indicates a warm front, which means rain. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, and we talked about the halo, mm-hmm. right? The halo around. Moon halo. Yeah. So those are, those are the saying. Oh, yeah. There's like the proverbs too. I think like every, every month has different like weather. You know, people who say like, they're like, oh, my knee is aching. That means it's oh, going to rain. Yeah. Um, I think that that is confirmation bias. Like, because if it's sunny and nice out, you're not going to be like, you know. The theory is it has to do with barometric pressure. Oh, yeah, that's BS. And that you don't because feel that of barometric shit. pressure, like you, you can actually sense it in like your aches in your knee or whatever, that there's like a high pressure system moving in. No, that's... Mm-mm. It's 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 actually been researched that it's like I as a physis physiologist mm-hmm. I have studied that I actually did look that up at one point because I uh I would train people who would say that all the time and it drove me crazy because I was like you just don't remember <laughs> it when your damn knee hurts when it's like warm outside or whatever because it's like uh, so nice out. Also, rain boots are like super bad. Like, don't wear them. Figure out something oh, okay. better. You're like, it's your choice of footwear. That's yeah. I'm like, maybe when you wear flip flops too, your knee your mm-hmm. knee hurts. Yeah, I don't. It, it, you can't. I don't know. If you frizzy, if your hair starts getting like frizzy though, that can predict the weather. Oh yeah, my hair like all summer, it frizzes Looks out. Great. It's crazy. The winter, the wave. It's like a. It's like the a winter serious behaves, cloud. It's but yeah. wispy hair. Yeah, that's a humidity right there. I can tell you that it's summertime because <laughs> of my hair. Yes. All right, so that's the weather. And that's the, that's the weather. Back to, you. Back to you. We didn't talk about the history of weather people. I looked up the history of the Weather Channel, and it wasn't, as you can imagine, it oh, wasn't actually I mean, that interesting. I have the rest of them. I I told you about, like, the Robert Fitzroy was, like, mm-hmm. the first... I will say something forecast might come from the word because they didn't have the word for forecast before him. Forecastle is the head of the ship. So people think that he just oh, invented that word from that. Word. Yeah. Chef Maki points out the ring around the moon is from moisture in the air. Um, Louis Fry is a Quaker mathematician. He was the one who thought of the computing, the room of humans, like computing everything. Mm. And then that happened for the World War II. And then in the 50s, that happened with actual computers. And then those computers just got better and better. And you and I talked a little bit about chaos theory. Oh, yeah. Well, right. Because then that that equation is added to like the equations of computers and the butterfly effect. Yeah. It's why it's so difficult. Sure. The daily forecast is usually pretty accurate. It's extremely difficult and pretty much impossible to predict the weather like a week out or two weeks out uh, because of... And they found this. They'll run a a computer simulation on like a supercomputer to predict the weather based on like, you know, millions of inputs from different weather stations and like satellite data and everything else. And then they find if they go back and just tweak one parameter a little bit, like the butterfly effect, and rerun the model, 
you get entirely different outputs yeah. a week from now because there's so many different interacting variables. But the the weather stations like feed into a central database, kind of like what you do with your with coding. Like everybody works on a little chunk, and then it all has to go through this mm. like bigger thing. Probably via the and National the, Weather Service. The butterfly effect, which I didn't know this. It's basically like saying. Do, would the would a lot of like monarch butterflies wings flapping at the same time be enough to like change a the single weather? butterfly it's saying if a single butterfly flapped its wings because of chaos theory and that that feeds into some very unstable dynamic system you'll have a completely different output originally it was seagulls did you know that they thought that seagulls were influencing the weather well, yeah, but they had to change the name because the seagull seagull fly effect isn't isn't as cute okay. as the butterfly. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Those are the weather people. All right. We'll save Doppler radar for another episode. Oh, yeah. Because I got a whole bit on that, too. Um, yeah. Well, I have been blown away by this uh, rainfall of knowledge. And my basement is flooded. <laughs> nice, babe. Get the buckets. <laughs> Let me pull up our uh, fluffy cloud song. And I'll oh, yeah. And if you would like. Chef Maki himself influencing the weather by stirring his coffee. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do the same thing. Oh, you and me, Chef Maki. Ariel also making lattes, right? With the Clouds. You got to make clouds. Star. You got to make clouds with the, with the thing. Um, Please give us a five star review wherever there's the option to do that because it really does help. Shout out to our editor, Danny Phelps. When I, when I Guys always had little fluffy clouds in them, and uh, they were long and clear, and there were lots of stars at night. And uh, when it would rain, it would all turn. It, they were beautiful, the most beautiful skies, as a matter of fact. Uh, the sunsets were purple and red and yellow and on fire, and the clouds would catch the colors everywhere. That's it, me, because I used to look at them all the time. You don't see that. You might still see them in the desert.